everybody. Welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I interview Rebecca Tayabi. She's an old friend of mine who has gone on to do really great things with her career. And she has specialized in a number of things, one being intergenerational trauma, which is the conversation of the day. I heard this term a few years back and have been learning more and more about it and wanted to do a podcast interview on it, so I called Rebecca and she did not disappoint. Rebecca is a therapist, a mindfulness teacher, and parent coach. She attended Columbia University School of Social Work with a focus on clinical work with children and families. She has specialized in treating developmental trauma, which often includes intensive family work. And she's a certified yoga teacher. She does uh, yoga for trauma recovery workshops. She has been trained in the trauma resiliency model and has had the opportunity to study under world-renowned mindfulness and meditation teachers. She's also the co-author of a book for young women titled The Wanderlust Warrior Project. Um, She does not sit still. She's got a lot of energy and is doing some really cool things. I hope you enjoyed the interview. It was fun to reconnect with an old friend and uh, I learned a ton. Thanks for joining. Rebecca Tayabi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andrew fun to connect. We were friends first before we were professional colleagues. Um, and so it's been fun to watch your career just sort of take off. Thank you. And likewise, I think you're awesome. <laughs> we can just end on that. We can just, Bye. Oh, great <laughs> podcast interview. I, I think, you know, we you're got what we need. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, listen, trauma, um, you know, we're, what I'd really like to talk about today is intergenerational trauma. Yes. Do we need to frame it with trauma first, or can we jump right into intergenerational trauma, what it is, and, and should we just start there? Well, I think I, I can. what I can do is like give your audience just a short definition of trauma, just to kind of have that as a concept in our minds as we move through like the the deeper theory around intergenerational trauma is. So I think for us to just have a working definition of what trauma is, it's anyone's perception. So that's like the key word. It's anyone's perception of a threat that can be real or imagined. So it's trauma is so, it's almost kind of like a relative term because you know, if I experience a paper cut on my finger, like that might not mean anything to me, but to you, it could be utterly painful. And so I would have to, I mean, I know that's kind of a silly example, but um, we could even look at it like a car accident, right? Like even a minor car accident that might not be really traumatic to you, but to me, it might be really a trauma, especially if I come to that moment with a history of other traumas, it's going to impact me differently. So when we work with trauma, it's just important to understand that someone's perception of an event being threatening to them can really color their whole experience or how they define, was it traumatic or not? Great, great definition. For your clients who come in and say, Rebecca, you know, there's a lot of people out there claiming trauma, you know, and that's the criticism, right? And I'm, I'm on board hundred percent with everything you just said, the criticism from 
you know, some people is like, ah, oh, everything's a trauma these days. You know, how, how do you answer that? What do you say to those people that are skeptical of this idea that it's perception? Because that's, I think that is a struggle in this conversation for some people. For sure. And I mean, I think some of that, that kind of like thought process might be a result of your own childhood trauma, you know, because if, if we're not given the space to have our own reality, like you and I are in this conversation, but we're both occupying a different reality. Like I'm coming to this conversation with my own lenses based off my life experience and probably the way my brain and nervous system is wired. And you're doing the same thing, Andrew, even though we're like meeting around this like common theme, mm -hmm. we're inhabiting different worlds together. And so it's really important, like as we grow and as we move out of our childhood or developmental traumas to accept everybody has their own reality and how I would probably answer that comment in real life mm -hmm. would be like this is this is what's great about like our culture today that we've all done enough therapy or therapy has permeated our culture enough that we can have these more open conversations and be be willing to name our traumas whereas i think before culturally it was it wasn't spoken of like it is today yeah the idea was just stuff it down hide it it's not normal it's not okay and that comes with other unintended consequences right absolutely absolutely uh-huh cool yeah can i add one other thing i don't think we had Please. enough of a vocabulary around these things before and so, so some of it is to like sweep it under the rug, hide it. We don't talk about it. That's what makes us stronger. Like just suck it up or man up or whatever. But I also feel like we've just really, as we've evolved over the last 50, 60 years, we've just been able to build a stronger vernacular around these different kinds of traumas. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't want to derail us too much. Sure. Okay. Just, I do have a, a, a specific... me in because you can see where I could go on and on about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I have the book, the body keeps the score next uh -huh. to my bed. Haven't started it. Um, but there is a link to trauma and physical, like there's, there's a connection here. So can you talk about that for a second? How does trauma impact us? So we, we, we know a definition of it, but now how does it play out in the individual? Well, I go to a couple of places. It impacts our nervous system. So when we're like resilient, our nervous system acts harmoniously, which means like my sympathetic nervous system, which is the part of my nervous system that like activates like a more of an elevated kind of vigilant response from me. When that gets activated, when my nervous system is acting in concert with each other, then my parasympathetic nervous system starts to respond and starts to bring me down and calm me. So I'm kind of in this like nice, it's not like nothing ever gets to me, but I'm kind of flowing and moving through life. Like if I'm activated, I'll come down, right? So there's kind of like this nice, I keep it moving. But when I experience trauma, I get stuck somewhere in my nervous system. Like I might get too heightened and stay there like in more of an anxious vigilant state, or 
I can get stuck in one of those lower, even my parasympathetic, I can become too stuck in that place and almost become immobile, depressed, lethargic, isolated. So those are some basic ways, a very basic explanation of how trauma impacts the body via the nervous system. The way that trauma can impact our brain is that we can really be operating out of the survival or reptilian part of our brain. That's basically our brainstem and our limbic system. Th those are the parts of the brain that manage survival, like fight, flight, and freeze, and memory. So if, we're, if we've had a trauma and then we're in a PTSD state, like if I was an army veteran and I heard a car backfire near me, I might think that it's a bomb dropping, I might think that there's an attack, and that part of my brain is immediately activated. So I might make choices based off that part of my brain being activated. When yeah. I'm in a trauma mode, I can't access the most evolved part of my brain, my human brain, which is the neocortex and the prefrontal cortex, which helps me emotionally regulate and make like higher functioning decisions. That part of the brain is, it, it literally goes into a rest mode, like it's resting when we're traumatized or experiencing PTSD. So those are some physical man manifestations of the brain and nervous system when we're operating out of trauma. That's cool. so helpful. Good, good. Do you find this really helpful when you walk your clients through it? Yeah, and to be real with you, it, it was life-changing information for myself, you know, like I, I've gone through my own trauma recovery, and that's what inspired all of my work, like to really do a deeper dive into healing our traumas, is that I, it touched my life too, and I realized I'm not superhuman or above any of this, like this is going to come for all of us at some point. The Buddhists believe like we've all inherited a cosmic endowment of suffering. And so, you know, we've got to, it's, it's going to visit us at some point. And when I was walking through some of this stuff in my own healing and learned, oh my gosh, my brain, like it really couldn't have behaved in a different way in that moment. Like my brain was just doing what it needed to do to keep me alive. And once I understood that, I could have compassion for myself and forgive myself. And that's why I'm so excited to share this kind of information with my students and my clients because it can be liberating and a gateway toward real forgiveness. Cool. Yeah. So how does, okay, that's a good segue into the intergenerational part. Now that we've kind of framed it nicely and you did an awesome job, how do we inherit trauma? It seems... I'm not skeptical, I believe, but walk me through it. Like for, for some people, it's like you, my great, great grandfather's suffering. I inherited that. Like, yeah. Help, help me wrap my head around it because I think this is really fascinating. For sure. So, and it is a newer science that that's emerging. It's called epi, epigenetics. So epigenetics is basically just the study of our heritable, traumas and traits from our family and ancestors. So what epigenetics is studying is the part of our genes that get altered. It's not like our ge genetic sequence changes, but our gene expression changes based off what our parents or their parents experienced. So for example, um, 
this woman, Rachel Yehuda, she's like a big name to know when you're learning about epigenetics. She studied Holocaust survivors and children of Holocaust survivors. And what she learned is that Holocaust survivors experienced a true genetic change, like their gene expression was altered. And then when she studied their children, their gene expression was altered in the same exact place as their parent. And when wow. she really kind of broke this down, what that led to was children of Holocaust survivors were prone to experience the same kind of panic disorders as their parents, even though they didn't have that direct experience. So they were more prone to anxiety, panic attacks, panic disorders, depression. And she studied this group. Um, there was a control group of children who weren't impacted directly by the Holocaust and their parents didn't have a direct experience with the Holocaust. So there's, there's real like facts and science emerging around this. Wow. Yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> okay. So the, so the genetic DNA epigenetics, as I understand it, is, is the, is it the idea that genetics change? Yep through experience and therefore that change is has kind of a a trickle down effect on our posterity 100% like it really creates a mark it really leaves a literal mark in our bodies and the other thing i want to say about this just as we get started in this conversation is that it's a really beautiful part of nature and human nature that what a generous offering that if you experience something harmful in your environment that nature alters you in a way to potentially protect your offspring from that same kind of stress in their environment so it's really a protective factor but we realize like if we're not born in the same condition or under the same circumstance some of these markers and changes can actually create a lot of suffering or confusion for us because it doesn't fit our context does yeah that makes sense uh-huh yes. okay. uh tell me more where do we go next rebecca i'm like <laughs> so what do we do what do you do do you go what do you do with your clients well, you go in and like, how do you process this? How do you go into your ancestry and say, that's where, that's where I got this. And yeah, you know, we do. Can I tell you, can I tell you where I started? Yes. Okay. So I started with myself. And so I, you know, as you know, I, I've been, I'm super in my healing is like a hobby at this point. Like, um, it's really changed my lifestyle getting to do like trauma recovery for myself. So I started going on a lot of silent meditation retreats and there was a retreat that I went on a few years ago in New Mexico. And it was at this beautiful place called Vallecitos. I, I just think everyone should try to have a retreat experience there. It's phenomenal. And you're camping in this like beautiful wilderness preserve up in the Rocky mountains. And um, when you go on silent retreat, everybody takes what's called a yogi chore and you do that chore for the week. And so I got lucky, I got the chore of doing the dishes and there was like an assembly line of a few of us doing the dishes. And I, I mean it when I say I got lucky, I actually love doing the dishes. It's like a form of meditation for me. <laughs> and also it's like, I know how to do it, you know? So about, a few days, like probably three or four days into this retreat, 
I was washing the dishes and standing in my part of the line and all of a sudden became like super self-aware and really self-conscious and my body started sweating and I just had this thought pop up of like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this wrong and everybody's going to see me and they're going to see that I'm doing it wrong and I'm going to be humiliated and embarrassed and it was such a bizarre experience because I know how to do the dishes, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and yet I was having this whole body experience around it that was like telling me something different. And then the thought that was happening for me is like telling me something different, but none of it fit. And so that's when something clicked for me of like, none of this is fitting my context this has to come from somewhere else besides me. And then I realized I must have inherited this from my parents. And when I was able to realize that I, you know, finished my chore, moved away to like some quiet space in the retreat center and just imagined myself as a baby, you know, and like cradle, made like this gesture of cradling my arms. And I started rocking myself back and forth and just kind of comforting myself saying they're there and stayed with myself like that until the crying baby was like content <laughs> again. And that opened up kind of a doorway for me of understanding intergenerational trauma and how it's almost like an energy. It's like Mark Woolen, who wrote this book called It Didn't Start With You. He says intergenerational trauma is like a time traveling door-to-door -door salesman. It's gonna keep knocking the doors <laughs> down through the generations until someone opens the door and welcomes it in and starts to befriend it and heal it. So this was like a really nice gateway <laughs> into that healing experience. When you, when an individual starts that healing process, do the epigenetics change? You know, I think that's such a good question. And I don't, I haven't read any studies on that yet, but I do think that our, our brains and our nervous systems begin to operate differently around it. And for me, I think if we start to cope better in the present moment, in a spiritual sense, I think we start to heal up our family tree and I'm positive that we heal, you know, who comes after us. So I don't know what happens other than I think we start to regulate ourselves better and I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. That means we're creating a different kind of gene expression. Okay. Yeah. But okay, and so kind of the nature, na using nature and nurture as a context to talk about this, the, the nurture changes for sure, right? We're role modeling differently for our kids. Yeah. Um, but, but the nature part could, could, right? And that's kind of what we're saying. We don't know yet, but that's the idea. That's the idea. Or that if it doesn't change with us, Andrew, I think what we're learning is that it it takes several generations to kind of unlearn or create different ways of coping in our family line. And so if it doesn't alter our expression, I think by, I think it takes three generations, if my memory serves me, for the, that kind of 
expression of intergenerational trauma to change or to leave the body of our family mm. tree. Yeah. Okay. So you have a client come in, yes. you're working on trauma, uh -huh. you, you know, you walked us through your personal experience of just sure. like, you know, I'm reacting right now, but there's uh -huh. no good, re there's no context. There's no reason why. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where you started your dive of like going like, Hey, where did this come from? So what do you do? Do you start reading journals of your, how far back do you go? How do you, what are you looking for? To yeah. Find that trauma. That's such a good question. So I think what we're looking for is like, first of all, how you're carrying it. So we've talked about how we carry it in our brain, in our nervous system. Then we can look at like, what are these core issues or like, yeah, like a core issue I have with myself for, so for me in that dishwashing example, it's like the, the core sentence or the core issue that came up for me was I'm not doing this right. And I'll be discovered and humiliated. Right. And that was so bizarre, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that it did make me wonder where in my family tree did this originate from? And so that's what I'll help clients do together. Like we'll identify some kind of core issue or core belief that, that they're walking around the world with. Mm -hmm. And then we do like, a, we move the storyline up. So we move it up the tree and look at, you know, did your mother, did your mother send any of those messages to you? Did she embody any of those messages? What about your father? Or we'll simply ask, who in my family experienced humiliation or who in my family humiliated someone else and we'll kind of move up the tree that way so we can kind of look at um how these energies moved down to us over time and then once we start to uncover that we can start to tell the story of our ancestors and give them kind of give them a voice give them a narrative Something that I forgot to mention when we were talking about this earlier, like what happens with the brain when we're traumatized is that we, we, in those moments, we lose the ability to use our language, which is like one of the most essential markers of being a human. And so when we lose that ability, we can't create a healing narrative around our trauma stories. So starting that process of like, okay, here's my core issue. I'm, I'm, I'm inadequate somehow. I'll be humiliated. And when I trace that up the family tree, I could see both of my parents held that story. They inherited it from their parents. And when I can start to name what their stories were and share their stories, then I can start to create a healing narrative around it and bring language back to our family tree if that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. I don't know how woo-woo this stuff sounds, Andrew. Oh, we're totally in woo-woo territory, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, having, I'm like, let's lean into it. So okay. question for you, when you sat down with your parents and said, hey, I experienced this, where did it come from? <laughs> I have awesome parents. I'm trying to imagine that conversation with my mom and dad. Yeah, um, and, you know, Andrew. I, I think they would probably say, don't you dare start 
they wouldn't say it that way. They'd just be like, don't blame your issues on us. Like, <laughs> we, you know, we screwed you up for sure. Every, every parent does. They would totally, you know, but I, I guess my point is, is like, right. That how do you navigate that conversation around like, Hey, you know, curiosity, that's how I would approach it. It's like, did you ever feel this way? Did you, do you, do you have any idea where it comes from? You know, I never had those conversations with my parents. Oh. Yeah. And I don't know that any of my clients or students do per se. I think they can. But, you know, growing up, we hear our parents' stories constantly. And we hear the stories of their parents and their siblings and their aunts, their uncles. And so, you know, it's not just the hearing of these stories that impacts us. It truly is like the gene, the changed gene expression that impacts us. How I've been working with it and how I've been supporting my students and, and clients in working through this is to create a family tree. And at the top of your family tree, you can write out your core your core issue or your core sentence, right? So I don't know, Andrew, are you comfortable doing anything like this? Or do you want me to just work through my example? Um, okay, let's go there. My, like, I have always had, I've always, I've been very sensitive. I was born with a sensitive soul is mm -hmm. how my mom would say it. And it's interesting because I have an aunt who says, oh, my, my son as well, like you guys, and we're like 10 years difference in age. And I don't even know that cousin that well. Uh -huh. She's like, oh, he, he too has your, your like sensitive little soul. This is obviously when I was younger, mm -hmm. right? And you know, it's beautiful. I like a lot of things about it, but it's painful at times too. And it makes me wonder why, like, where did it come from? Yeah. And you know, it, it plays out positively and negatively in my life. And let's talk about it. So can I ask you, like, thank you so much for sharing. And I, I love your sensitive heart. I think it's so, it's what makes you an awesome person. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And it's really why I like you, <laughs> just <to> be <laughs> because it's so um, evident. But I am wondering, like, with your, with that, sensitivity like what is your fear what's your greatest fear around that or what is the worst thing that could happen um i hate being wrong okay. i hate when when people come at me aggressively i like you were talking earlier about the the parasympathetic sympathetic like mm -hmm. i freeze when people like if i if i'm in a store and someone like starts yelling at me i will freeze mm -hmm. And 30 minutes later, I'll be, I'll like think of like 10 amazing comebacks <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, I should have said this, or I should have told them to pound dirt and this is why. But in the moment I just freeze and it's like, I've become very aware of it and I've tried to work on it, but it's something I don't understand about myself. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I would like to, because, um, and I, I learned this in my twenties is that I was easily taken advantage of. And, oh, I, okay. and I, I got into some unhealthy relationships mm -hmm. and I learned the hard way through those, but I learned some good lessons as well. And so 
I'm aware of it and I'm aware of the need to stand my ground. I don't like it. I don't, it's not a comfortable place for me. It's not a place where I'm like, yeah, let's do this. You know, right. it's, it's more of a like, oh no, I'm here and I have to do it. Uh -huh. And it's what if I'm wrong? What if I'm unfair? I think there's a deep sense of fairness that I feel in the world of treating people fairly and as an owner and a boss. Yes. Um, I felt that way constantly. And, you know, criticism and those kinds of things have been tough and gotten better. But yeah, that's, that's. Okay. So you're doing, thank you for being so open. Thanks for playing with me. <laughs> <laughs> I might regret this. We may not even air this episode. <laughs> for our records only. So it sounds like there's one of the fears that runs through. And if we could just like stay on this for a minute maybe it'll lead somewhere, maybe it won't, but it sounds like one of the worst fears around this part of your nature is that I could be taken advantage of. Yes. And so I'm wondering like who in your family was taken advantage of or who in your family took advantage of others and maybe wasn't fair. Could you look at your family tree and look at your parents, your grandparents, aunts or uncles? Nothing that stands out. Okay. And I, I think that taking advantage of feeling comes from like some experiences in my, the relationships in my 20s, where I think up until my mid 20s, I was just very trusting and actually quite naive, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's what got me into some relationships where I contributed my part, right, by trying to be the pleaser, by trying that sensitivity that, that avoid the conflict part of me got me into those relationships. So that's probably my personal that's, trauma. <laughs> that is, right? And you and me both, brother. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, you know, we, I think we have some overlap, you know, and in our life experiences. But the thing is, I don't think that it just started with us. Like, I think that some of this, like, if we go back to that, that Buddhist concept of like, we have this karmic endowment of suffering. I do think some of that is handed down to us through our lineage. And when we study epigenetics and when we study our family tree, what we can find is like, um, there is probably someone in our tree that experienced something similar to us. And what a lot of times these studies are showing or what I find in my practice working with my clients is that if they were traumatized, like if they experienced some kind of abuse at age five, let's say, if you look at their family tree, their parent experienced the same kind of abuse at the same age, their child experienced the same kind of abuse at the same age. So there's this really interesting link through time that when we really sit back and look at it, we can see there is a true link. And I know I'm putting you on the spot and maybe this particular course sentence doesn't have like a direct correlation in your family tree. But when we take a step back and actually draw out our family tree, we can see there's a common theme that runs through the generations. So to go back to like how I would walk a student through this, I would put my core sentence on the top of the paper, if we're gonna draw out our family tree, 
And then I would create a family tree that includes me, my parents, and their parents. And maybe if I have enough time, my great grandparents. And what I would start to do is go through that family tree and then put all of the traumas that I'm aware of throughout the family tree next to that person, right? So I could give you a little, I could share a little bit about my family tree. What I discovered is that, you know, my mom grew up in a very small town in, in Utah and um, her mom left the family when she was a teenager. And this created a lot of humiliation for my mom because she was, she was in a small Mormon town and that's not what good families are supposed to do. And as I traced up, we saw, okay, in my grandma's life, her, she lost her father. Her father left, not because he chose to, but because he had tuberculosis and had to be removed from the home and lived in like a, I don't know where those places called like a sanatorium, I think. Mm -hmm. And so when I traced it all the way back up to my great grandfather, it really, this is me, I haven't shared this with anybody, but it moved beyond just like humiliation. And it really was a look at, does my life, will my life matter? Will my life matter because I'm separated from my family? I want this life to matter. I don't know if that's literally what my great grandfather experienced, but because I was able to trace up my family tree, I felt this connection to him that I never knew I had. And I realized I'm holding on to all these different traumas on my mom's side of the family tree. And how I started to work with that was like just having conversations with my great grandfather. I mean, he's not here in a literal or physical way, but I started telling him like, your life absolutely mattered. You, I love my grandma. I love my mom. You made me who I am. You made our family strong. You were so, you know, in our family, we have this little leather pocket and inside that leather pocket are small notes that my great grandfather wrote to my grandma while he was sick with TB. And they were this, they will just, I mean, we sob when we look through those letters, but that is his legacy. Like his life was cut short and he was separated from his family. But I have this very this vision of a very strong and loving man that guides my life. And when I got to do that work, it helped me heal that trauma that I've been carrying. And the way that that directly impacts my relationship with my parents today is that I'm just able to love them better for who they are and really move. I went through a huge phase where I blamed them for everything <laughs> under the sun. But somehow doing this work around healing the intergenerational trauma, I, I just understand them better and love them. And there's just a nice, comfortable space there that keeps us both safe where we can love each other. So I don't, I don't know. That's a very long-winded answer. And thank you for listening. I appreciate yeah. it. No, that's, that's really cool. And I think that, you know, I, I'm just thinking because my, my parents are really good like they've put a lot, they're in their 80s and they're putting a lot of their free time into, you know, writing their stories, collecting the stories of their parents. And they've, they, you know, their families have put out some books. And I, you know, my mom's side, we just, I started reading my grandfather's story. And I'm, 
I'm the youngest of the youngest. I'm like the youngest of five kids. My, I'm like the youngest cousin of like 40 cousins. <laughs> and so I didn't know my grandparents very well at all. And reading their stories, I'm learning so much about who they were, just understanding myself better, I think in a very like, you know, just surface level sense, you know? And I think that understanding this, I'm excited to actually go back and look for a little bit of those similarities. And I, I, and maybe this is a stretch, but tell me if this is what okay. you're, you're see like, I'm the adventurer of the family. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I, I moved to foreign countries for long periods of time and have not followed his traditional path. And I think that my family's been super cool and supporting me in that. But I've always been like, you know, just different in that sense than uh -huh. my siblings or even my parents. And then I'm finding things out about my mom all the time. She lived in Mexico City for a summer. I'm like, what? I learned this like six months ago. And I'm like, <laughs> He's like yeah, you know, me and my sisters, we just packed a bag and got on a train and had, you know, like some family down there. And I'm like, that's she awesome. Back she backpacked Europe. I mean, things that I didn't know, right? And I, and I also learned about a great grandfather who stowed away on a boat from Europe and ended up in South Africa. Like he jumped a boat to Europe. And I was like, wow, Andrew. I was like, mom, is that where I got it? Like, I remember having sure. that conversation. Like, he was an adventurer. Like, he wanted to get out and just do see the world. And anyway, so that's kind of light, fun stuff. And, yeah. you know, as I try to connect the dots on who I am, but, you know, doing that deep dive, I guess what you're saying is learning about them, reading their journals, and have, you know, just being curious about what makes them tick. Um, I think my parents would be thrilled if I asked them more questions. I <laughs> would. And I, and I think it would help, like, you know, I think we, there's an importance to, I didn't understand this or really care until probably getting closer to middle age. I'm still in denial that I might be middle aged, Andrew. Just don't um, even say that. Do not <laughs> use that language around me. I will end this interview right now. Yeah, but I, I didn't care until this part of my life about my ancestors, to be totally honest. But there is something as I like, you know, I, I do think middle age makes you a little more existential and we, we start to evaluate our lives in a, in a more thoughtful way. And we want our lives to matter and to count, right? And um, we, there, there's only so much time we have left. And so I think doing this work of understanding my ancestors, like it can be light and fun, it's also another form of adventure to learn their stories and you can you can read their journals, listen to like the oral traditions of your family, like what what stories have been handed down over the generations. And then I do think one of the most important things we can do is bring our own language to it. So once we learn these stories, and if we do the deep dive into their traumas, how do I bring a healing narrative to the story? Because that can be one of the key things that changes things for like who comes after us so engaging in that conversation with my great-grandfather or saying things to myself like you're enough right like those things start to to change or yeah they just start to change us in a spiritual way and i'm positive that our lineage will be like 
they'll reap the benefits of that work that we're doing. Should we, in this process, do we look for people that are like us to find that trauma? Or do you, like, could it be in a grandma who seems quite different than you, but you say, wow, there's this element of her life that seems like that's where it is. Is there, is there a trick for yeah. what to look for? You know, I think that's such a good question. I think it's when we do our family tree, we're not really looking for anything. And so when we write out the different kind of stories and traumas or stressors that we see our families experienced, we can then kind of take a step back and look at that. And it will find us, like the points of connection that are meant for us will leap out from the page and we'll know where to turn our attention to. So I don't think that we go searching for something specific. I think that thing will, will come to us. Okay, cool. Yeah. How about, so I'm one of five siblings and we all have very different temperaments, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and what I described to you is my core statement. Um, I would think very few of my siblings would relate. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe we could have a conversation about that. But does it play out differently for different siblings? And is, are there different traumas that would just filter down differently in your experience? Yeah, I do. I know that that is the case. I think it depends on every person's wiring and the amount of healing that, that they've done. And that doesn't mean you know, Andrew, you're, you have done a lot of beautiful work on yourself. You have awareness. And so I'd say that it sounds like you're pretty far in your healing process. And so you're able to name it, right? It just depends on each person's investment in their own healing and what they're ready to be curious about and name and then work through. Cool. Yeah. I, we could talk all day. I know you've, you've got to go. So I'm sensitive um, to your schedule. Are, okay, I think I got all the questions out that I wanted. Okay. Where can people find you? Oh, that's so nice. Well, so I'm going to make a plug for a book that I did not write, but that is guiding this whole conversation that we're having today. It's the same book I mentioned called um, It Didn't Start With You by Mark Woolen. So if you are interested in doing this work and doing a deep dive, that's the place to start. And if you're interested in moving through it, like through talk therapy or through mindfulness practices, I would be happy to do that work with you. And you can find me online. My name's Rebecca Taibbi. Um, if you Google me, you'll see me. And my website is called Satya Family Coaching. Well, that's my company name. So you can find me there online, satyafamilycoaching.com. And yeah, and then I teach workshops. So really come to my website and you'll see all that stuff <laughs> posted. Perfect. And I'll put all that on the, the show notes Thanks, um, as well, because there's some interesting spellings in there that I want to make sure people get right yeah. um, as they're looking for you. Anything you want to finish with that we, that you're like, everybody has to know this about this topic um, before we wrap up. I think the teaching that comes to mind is from one of my favorite mindfulness teachers. Um, his name's Wes Nesker. And 
I did a retreat. Oh, it was that same New Mexico retreat with him. And he just shared with all of us, you are not your fault, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think when we do this work, it's really, it becomes very alive and very apparent that we are not our fault. This didn't start with us. We're just a continuation of a long, long line. And for, for me, I think the, where I've landed is that if I can just do my best <laughs> in this life, then, then I'll be proud, right? And so it's just doing our best, whatever that means under the circumstance we're in. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. Um, look forward to catching up more later. And thanks so much for your time. Same. Thanks, Andrew. You're the best. You're right. Thanks, Diana. <laughs> Good to see you. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining and hope to see you next time.